Hello and welcome to the Uncover Up. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nathan Radke. With me today are my fellow co-host Lee Kunla. Hello, hello. And Elena Papianis. And also joining us today is you, the listener. The listener. Aw, hi listener. Because it's listener mail day. Yay. Yes. We're doing some fan service finally. This I've been looking forward to this for me a long too. time. Yeah, and we got some good questions. So let's just jump right into it. So okay. again, to recap, these are questions that people sent to us at our email, which is <laughs> the uncover up. Oh, that's wrong. No, uh, podcast podcast at at theuncoverup.com. Theuncoverup.com. There you go. All right. So let's get right into it. All right. So this is from Codename Mystic Pointers from right here in Toronto, Canada. Nice. Uh, no, or so they say. Or so they say. We've got a few questions here. Uh, long-time listener, first-time questioner. Question one, and it's a good one. How do you verify your sources, especially those created by the government or FBI or CIA, considering that you often show how the American government especially has lied about or concealed evidence? Mm-hmm. Good question. Because often we're using uh, the government's own words in order to criticize the actions of the American government. That's right. So how do we know what to believe and what not to believe? Yeah, it is a good question. Um, it's one that I sometimes... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay. You can edit that out. My volume was just too loud and I was getting... Oh, sorry. Okay, no, that's good. Okay. Thanks. Okay. That is a good question. It's one that I sometimes tease people with uh, when we're talking about conspiracies. I'm like, well, especially when we teach our class. I say, well, why would you even take a class like this? I mean, I'm clearly compromised. I work for an institution. Yeah. Um, but... I, and I'm curious what you both have to say, Elena and Nathan, but I think part of it is how we get those sources. Yeah. Um, if I think about, for example, MKUltra, uh, which was, again, that mind control experiment done by the CIA. We covered that in a past podcast. Um, those were CIA documents that were found by... Uh, vigilantes who went breaking into the FBI offices that was then later used in uh, uh, court proceedings. Um, Mm -hmm. And in this, in this case, I feel like that makes these documents more trustworthy. I think than even if they were issued by the CIA themselves and publicly released, say after a period of time, uh, which they often do when things get declassified and say, well, there maybe they were trying to, uh, tip the scales in one direction or another. So how did we get our hands on those documents? Again, if we think about like um, uh, Nazi extermination during uh, the Second World War, those are documents the Nazis themselves kept that were then discovered by the Allies when they go in, and there's this whole record of what they were doing. Yeah, it's the difference between... Like, we don't take their word at it when they release a public statement. Mm-hmm. But what we do is we go in through the Freedom of Information Act, we find their sort of interior memos to each other and things like that. So we're not trusting what they tell us. We're trusting what they say to each other. Right. And there's a lot of that. Like, when we were looking at MKUltra, there's all this corroborating stuff too, right? It's not like it was just one program. It was multiple programs run through the government in different parts of the world, different cities, different institutions. So there's all sorts of other memos and documents that go along to sort of corroborate that initial report that we might get that is from the CIA or FBI. Uh, Exactly. And we sort of tie that in with what uh, we've read from journalists and what we've read from historians. Mm -hmm. And so eventually just sort of have to put this giant puzzle together. Can I just give an analogy uh, to Elena's point, um, which I, I thought was a really interesting way of answering this question about 
how do you know whether historical figures actually existed? You know, there's this question. I mean, why does nobody question whether Caesar ever existed, but people do question whether Jesus or uh, Socrates ever existed? There's a real lively debate. Was Jesus ever a human being who walked the earth? Did this person ever exist? Or was he a literary invention? And there's a good reason why we don't question the existence of Caesar uh, actually existing historically, and that's because other people besides the Romans wrote about him, mm-hmm. right? So the Egyptians are having trouble with the Romans, and they're like, oh, this guy, you know, and the mm-hmm. Persians are having trouble with the Romans. That's the problem with Jesus, is that almost all the documents come from Christians or followers of Jesus uh, himself. And mm-hmm. so you're like, well, those documents are somehow less trustworthy because they, they've they got skin in the game. You know, mm-hmm. they... they uh, uh, now, that's not to say he didn't exist, but on the other hand, when you have something like Caesar being commented on by all these other people um, who have no real interest in creating this mythological mm-hmm. character, you say, okay, well, there's good evidence to think that he existed. Right. So I think in the same way, to your point, Elena, in terms of corroborating this stuff, it's not just that we found a document. Mm-hmm. or a document written by the CIA. It's that we've gotten other people outside the CIA, we've gotten lawyers, we've gotten outside observers mm-hmm. to all corroborate in one way or another the fact that this actually went down. In fact, often we will come across a single document and then we won't be able to use it until we find some other way of backing it up. And totally. There's some documents right now that we're currently waiting for some kind of corroboration for and then we can blow some stuff wide and open and then we'll tell you and then we'll tell you yeah uh wow that was intense that was just one part of yeah. one email <laughs> it's a All good right. question see you though. later everybody <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a question too ken casey the author of one flew over the cuckoo's nest was involved with mk ultra it's true and it clearly influenced the content of his novel was he ever targeted for the content of his book or secrets revealed therein so was ken casey who was experimented on and then publicly came out about it, was he ever hassled by the CIA for his work? I don't know. I don't know either, Nathan. This seems like a question designed for you. Yeah. The interesting thing about Ken Casey, I don't know. I have looked on CIA files to see if I can find any internal memos where they were concerned about his work. Mm -hmm. I haven't found anything yet. Uh, What is an interesting aspect of this is, though, of course, Ken Casey was part of the massive counterculture movement that started to show up in the United States in the 60s. You think of like the hippie, the free love, the, the LSD movement. Uh, something that I'd like to look into is this question of how much of that counterculture 1960s movement was actually inadvertently created by the CIA when they were doing these experiments. Because, I mean, think back to our episode in MKUltra one of the main cities they were doing this in was San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this was before San Francisco turned into that massive hippie scene. So how much of what eventually happened in the 60s was sort of an unintended consequence of all of these psychedelic tests that the CIA was doing on people like Ken Casey. Hmm. Right. And I wonder, too, given that it was a fictional novel it's not like he was writing an autobiography where he's like this is what happened to me Hmm. even if there were or probably are some elements of truth to you know either his experience or something um in those it could easily be brushed off or at least you know by the cia to be like well that's just you know fictional ramblings of 
of a hippie. Yeah. You know, it could easily be sort of discredited if there was some truth to it. Dirty hippies. Yeah. And this also goes back to something Lee said in the MK Ultra episode. The story of MKUltra is so bizarre, it doesn't sound believable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so even if somebody tells the truth about MKUltra, it doesn't sound real because right. it's so bizarre. Right. Uh, third question, this will be a quick one. When will you broadcast the conspiracies to overthrow Castro and the many attempts by the U.S. government to assassinate him? Did they really think of 638 possibilities? We really have to do this one. Yeah, we really do. We really do. I mean, we kind of touched on this with the Frank Olson episode. Yeah, and the assassination when, manual. Yeah, the uh, so we should get back to that. Yeah, because Castro is like a whole other, that's a whole Pandora's box of the assassination The seashells, attempts. the swimsuits, the, the explosions. The exploding cigar. Oh, the, it's, it's the, wild. You know, okay. shaving his beard off or making yeah. his beard fall out. And, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay we, we have to promise that one we too. Are, Mystic we, Pointers, their codename Mystic Pointers, we're going to promise. We promise okay. again yeah. to do that episode. We're going to yes. make a list. Absolutely. Right, uh, Lena, what do you got? Oh, Okay. Let's see. What do I have? Okay. So this is from um, a team from Peterborough, Canada. So they said, um, I was wondering if you could please do an episode on Osama bin Laden. There are conspiracy theories surrounding his death. For example, he was old and sick and died a natural death. Hence why bin Laden's body was never shown to the media and was thrown into the bottom of the ocean rather than being paraded like Saddam Hussein's body. Uh, He was also friends with the Bush family and other high-ranking politicians and world leaders. Therefore, his death seems rather suspicious. Thank you. Um, and I think there's even more conspiracies around him. Like some say he was even dead before they did the raids. Some yep. say he's still alive. Uh, there's all sorts of ones swirling around. I don't know. Do you think we should do an Osama bin Laden episode? I think we should. I think before we even get to that, we'd have to talk about Nine something of, like Operation yeah. uh, Cyclone. Yeah, and and, and uh, we're CIA. book we're bookending. Oh gosh, 9/11 I gotta write here. all this stuff down. Yeah. We are. We oh really boy. need to do that too. because we really do need to do, and we we've do. been working towards doing an episode as well on nine eleven. I'm making yeah. a list right now. I'm starting. Um, it. Okay, so nine eleven cyclone. 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 Nine eleven. Yeah. Osama bin Laden. This yeah. looks like a three parter. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to do okay. a whole suite of it. Okay. Like we're gonna have to go back basically to the 1950s to even start talking about this. Right. That's where we always go back to. We like live in the 1950s. Yeah. yeah. So, 50s and 70s. Yeah. It seems yeah. mostly yeah. here on this podcast. Just the glory age of Cold War paranoia. paranoia. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, good questions. And yeah, I think we almost certainly, uh, you know, very quickly, Osama bin Laden had turned into such a, like a, almost like a supervillain character, mm-hmm. especially for people our age who remember September 11th happening. Yeah. And he did not have a supervillain finish. I think that's one one of the reasons it's so unsatisfying to people is that people expected to have like the end of a movie when the villain is caught. Right. Whereas instead, it was very unceremonious. And the claims made by uh, the American government, of course, are unverifiable. Mm-hmm. Right. And, so and then they did make a movie about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, with Je- Jessica Chastain. Yeah. I forget which, what it's called now. It was like three words put together. Uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> Which, as I recall, was sort of pro-torture. Like, they have a scene early on where they show how right. torture gets good information. Right, right, right. Which, of course, is yeah. wildly inaccurate. And I mean, there are... So there's other elements in this question, too, like the idea of connections to the Bush family and other high-ranking politicians. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. that all links to the American history too of having these friends in places that then turn into enemies in places around the world. And um, so there's 
I, I, you know, there's always these nuggets of, or sometimes these nuggets of truth can, that can mm-hmm. then look like there's a conspiracy behind it as well, whether or not there is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so, um, okay, so that's now, you've started, made us start our list, so thank you, A-Team. Yeah. Okay, uh, next one is from G-Dub from Paris, France. Mm. Hi, Team Uncover Up. You Bonjour. Don't s- Bonjour. Uh, you don't spend much time discussing what the conditions or personalities that tend to make people more susceptible to tumble into hard beliefs and conspiracy theories. Leaving aside the confirmation and other biases, plus YouTube, plus echo bubble, plus poor education with no critical thinking, unquote, effects. Uh, another question here within that. What kinds of people or at what point in their lives do they believe this stuff more? Follow-up question. Why do people get so obsessed with their beliefs? This is separate from uh, believing things. Should do the bonus dangerous question? We'll, we'll wait. We'll answer we'll that and okay. then we'll get to the bonus okay. danger okay, question. okay, okay. okay. Okay, I have, I'm so glad that we got that question. I've been thinking about this question since we said we were going to do the listener mail episode, mm-hmm. and actually a long time before that too, because this is a fundamental question for us as well. When you're talking to people who have such a different perception of reality, I mean, at some point, I don't know if it happens to you two, but at some point I just think to myself, what has gone wrong here? I mean, how could we both be looking at the same events and come up with such different interpretations? Um, there's a f- I, I want to start by saying I don't think that there's one answer. Mm-hmm. I think that right. there are different uh, tendencies, and sometimes they get mixed together in individuals, why mm-hmm. this or that person might become a victim of conspiratorial thinking. Uh, I want to start maybe by... Uh, one idea which I would summarize by saying that being a member of a group is more important yes, than being right. For sure. Yep. Um, I think the clue here is, I, I hope I haven't used this on a previous episode, but I think the clue here is looking at something like how do neo-Nazis recruit uh, new members, new young members? I looked into this um, a few years ago, and it's really interesting to see how they do it. What they do is they'll send out um, an older young person. So if you're trying to get 14-year-old, 15-year-old kids to join up, sending an older person like 19, 20, not, but mm-hmm. not a full-on adult. So oh. like a big brother figure rather than a father figure. Yeah, exactly. And what they do is they go to schools, high schools, and they sort of scout uh, around looking for the loner looking for the person who is not clearly part of a group, who doesn't have a group identity, who Mm -hmm. doesn't have friends, and I'm using quotes here, looking for the loner loser. Right, someone who's a little more isolated or alienated. Yeah, And then offering them not first and foremost a racist ideology, but offering them group membership. Come Mm -hmm. and check out this party we're having. Here's some free music, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. These young people then get um, a lot of validation uh, when they uh, when they join up with a group like this. And I'm using something like neo-Nazis because they're so outside of the mainstream and what people would, I think, just gravitate to from, from themselves. And yet those groups are still successful today mm-hmm. to some extent because they can exploit the fact that we desperately want to be members in a group. Now, if you think you put yourself into the shoes of this kind of lonely loser, what's on the table now is friends, group identity, a narrative that explains why they don't have friends, why things aren't going well in their life. And all they need to offer Mm -hmm. up to be part of that group is to accept this ideology and maybe not even believe it Mm -hmm. at first. 
They just got to mm-hmm. say they accept it. Well, I mean, I remember watching uh, a goodbye video from one of the members of Heaven's Gate before they all took their own lives. Of course, this was the cult that uh, had the belief that there was a spaceship behind a comet and you had to commit suicide in order to get to it. And one of the goodbye videos made by one of the people who did take her own life, she said, you know, to be honest, I'm not even sure if there's a spaceship behind this thing. Mm-hmm. But again, it was that sense of community and belonging. Yeah. And it's interesting. You put uh, quotes around uh, lonely, lonely loser. losers. You can't see because it's a podcast. Uh, something that I think is important to point out is that we're all sort of lonely losers. Yeah. Sure. Like all of us are. Every yeah. human being is a bit of a lonely loser. When you really don't have a community that you feel part of, it is a really awful experience. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, young people take their lives because of this fact right? Because they're not part of a group. I think that's a really important reason when we look at even some of the really bizarre conspiracies where I think most of us look at it and think, well, that's clearly not true. The resurgence Mm -hmm. of flat earthers, for Mm -hmm. example. Um, I I feel like that's part of what's happening there is they are being offered group membership uh, with a narrative that says, oh, and by the way, you are right. And the things that have happened to you are not your fault. Yeah, and you're validated mm. for feeling the way you feel. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think that's a really important reason yeah, that's why huge. people uh, people might become victimized by these ideas. And, and one other thing that's super important, and we talk about this all the time, I don't know if we've ever said it on the podcast, it, it doesn't have to do with a lack of intelligence. No, mm-hmm. that's right. If anything, the people who are very intelligent are sometimes more susceptible mm-hmm. to this kind of thing because... They're good at defending the things they believe, even if the things they believe are undefensible. Right. right. Yeah. Rich and poor, intelligent or highly qualified with, you know, a lot of degrees behind their name. And those with very little education both seem to be equally likely mm-hmm. or, as you say, Nathan, potentially even those more privileged, even maybe sometimes more likely to fall victim to conspiratorial thinking. And yeah. now what about also the sort of likelihood that if you believe in one conspiracy theory it's more likely you believe in other ones like the notion of having a kind of conspiratorial worldview um i feel like that is yeah. another one that fits in with this as kind of an explanatory factor because if you w- believe in one you're actually you know if you think there's one evil group who's controlling this there might be an evil group who's controlling this too right, or sure. is poisoning our skies this, or is right uh, this is anecdotal evidence, of course, but I think it is. it fits in with what you're saying. I saw an interview with a flat earther, mm-hmm. and when he was asked, why did you start to question whether the earth was round or flat? He said, well, after I realized that September 11th was an inside job, right. I, feel right. like, I felt like everything was on the table at that point. Right. Right. It's almost like this one thing. It's like the Plato's Cave allegory where you discover there's some new reality in one in one case. Maybe right. there's an, Maybe everything is fake. Right. Mm-hmm. Nathan, I'm also thinking here of you do, you have a really good explanation of this sort of endorphin rush that you get when you when you feel like you've figured something right. out. And I think that this is maybe another angle into it is that there are kind of biochemical reasons why we might become conspiracists. Oh, and, and we feel that. Mm-hmm. Like when we're researching things, when we're poring over CIA documents, again, Alain and I have offices beside each other and sometimes we're on either side of our little cubicle wall and like yelling stuff back and yeah. forward to each other <laughs> when we find documents or when we're able to verify something. It does feel good. Yeah. We are rewarded by it's our exciting. brains for figuring stuff out. Yeah. So this, to your point then, Elena, maybe this is, you know, once you get the feel-good factor from 
discovering that you've been lied to once, yeah. you know, uh, and, and figuring it out because the feel good factor comes from figuring it out, then maybe there's a drive to go looking for more. Right. And Sorry. of course, some conspiracies are true. That's what's going yeah. exactly. I feel like I'm, we keep bringing this up, but I feel like MK Ultra is the gateway drug to conspiratorial <laughs> yeah. thinking yeah. because it just makes everything plausible now. Yep. Because and it's that one's so real. implausible, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, oh, okay, uh, reptiles, sure, maybe they're yeah, shapeshifting. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Maybe we didn't land on the moon. Yeah. I mean, that seems almost pedestrian and boring compared to MK Ultra. Totally. Yeah. Uh, another thing I was going to mention is. Um, how is sort of the notion of powerlessness or fear or how that, those things might factor like after something like 9-11 when something happened in the U.S. that's never happened before mm-hmm. in this major center, something they didn't see coming, you know, the desire to then not only be part of a group of maybe truthers where you have this community who believes there's some sort of conspiracy, but also just that psychological or primal desire to have some sort of way of understanding what just happened. Yeah. we uh, Like you say, when we're feeling things are out of control, when things are at their most chaotic, mm-hmm. that's when as an animal, we, we most want to find patterns to try to understand it so we can protect ourselves. Right. And so, yeah, in times of great social upheaval and things like that, for sure, people would be much more likely to seek conspiracy theories for explanations. Right, for and that's happens. what our brains are doing, trying to find yeah. patterns and, and sort of explanations for things. Well, what's the dangerous part? Of the question. Oh, oh. Um, okay, final bonus dangerous question. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, not, suggesting, like not suggesting you ever touch religious faith on your podcast, but link, if any, between religious and other faith, in brackets, no evidence, bre- beliefs. I work with many deeply religious people who are very cold, clinical, rational about the rest of the world. Huh. I feel like, Lee, you've yes, done research on this. I have. Take it, Lee. Um, well, this comes back to my earlier point about group membership. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a theory, and of course, in, in the social sciences, um, especially the kind of historical sociology and armchair anthropology dimension of the social sciences, there's a lot of debate about these theories. But I give you the one that I'm convinced by. Um, And this is, I've already discussed it just earlier, um, about group membership being more important than the ideology Mm -hmm. that organizes it. Um, This actually comes back, hey, French questioners, it comes back to Emile Durkheim, uh, a French... Yes, Mm -hmm. a French sociologist and uh, anthropologist of the uh, turn of the last century. Um, And he uh, makes this point that uh, if you look at... Uh, He actually starts out, he says, you know, some religious belief is really nonsensical. Um, I mean, there's the, and I'm going to offend people, I'm sorry, but there's the, there's the aspect of like Jesus walking on water or being risen from the dead. But then there's also stuff like, hey, we were descended from yams or, I don't know, an evil space monster is governing the universe. All of these are exactly, all of these are genuine (laughs) religious uh, beliefs. What he says is it works like this. You get, this is Durkheim's argument about religion. Religion's function, the reason we have it at all, is in order to generate group membership. Mm-hmm. All communities going back since the beginning of human existence, we need each other to survive. Yeah, we need social cohesion to... That's right, yeah. right? You need social cohesion, but the, all these people are different. How do you generate the social cohesion? So Durkheim argues that when you get together in ritualistic activities, singing, dancing, 
chanting, podcasting, just kidding. (laughs) Costumes is a good one. It generates a feeling, an actual biochemical feeling that tends to be projected outwards. Um, So Durkheim calls this the feeling of the sacred, that uh, we get together and we feel good for being together. It generated a... If you want a modern analogy, think about the heightened frenzy of a sporting event. Mm -hmm. Well, imagine we're in Toronto. Imagine if our local hockey team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, imagine if they won the Stanley Cup which has not happened since around the I mean, time England the won Raptors, the World Cup. The Raptors are, there you go. You know? Raptors. And, and yeah. I believe that they can win. I have no yes. evidence for that. Yeah. Right. And if they did win, I feel like we would pick this city up and carry it around. Yeah, exactly. It would feel sure. fantastic. It would be yeah. ridiculous. Now, the, the inversion that Durkheim says happens is that we don't, when this happens to us, we don't think to ourselves, oh, the reason I'm feeling good right now is because I've been chanting with my friends. Mm-hmm. What we do instead is we think, oh, well, the thing that I've been chanting, mm-hmm. um, you know, let's say it's the name of God or whatever, whatever, whatever. That's what's generating mm-hmm. this feeling. And that is my empirical evidence that this ideology is working, right. that it's real. Mm-hmm. And so you get the feel good sense of being in the group. Uh, and then you get a kind of a verification of your ideology um, through your own feelings. And then it's like, well, OK, I mean. I guess I would add to this too. You can look at stuff. Um, uh, what, what's his first name? Ash, uh, the psychologist. Solomon. Solomon Ash does a lot of interesting um, experiments around conformity and mm-hmm. group conformity. Sometimes we'll just say that we agree, even if we don't, to get along with the group. But if you do that long enough, maybe you will start agreeing. Yeah. You know, especially if everything around you is validated in that way. So I think you can. For me, there's a lot of connection between conspiratorial thinking and religious ideologies that are not plausible. Mm-hmm. Good answer. Good one. I feel like, wow. That was, that was me that summarizing was part of my dissertation. That's I'm glad amazing. I was able to do it in under yeah. an hour. All right. I got another one here. Okay. This is from uh, Codename Sockfoot. Oh, Undisclosed great. location. Ooh. Nice. All right. Hey there, I listened to your intro to hosts episode and was delighted to hear that Nathan was also fascinated by the Loch Ness Monster as a kid. I was. Still am. (laughs) I think it would be fascinating if you did an episode on legendary beasts or cryptids. Not really a conspiracy, but sounds pretty fun. Nessie, Bigfoot, even the Mothman. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Hey, thanks for the tip. Actually, I like this idea. I mean, Sockfoot is correct. Those aren't really conspiracies, but I feel like the same research skills that mm-hmm. we put into yeah. to uncover conspiracies, we could probably look into some famous cryptids. Totally. Okay. Uh, I would like to do an episode like that. Basically, each of us would pick one, we'd go off, we'd hunt for it, yeah, and then we'd come back and we'd report it in. All, All right, right, I'm adding it to the list. Okay. Of those three, uh, which, Elena, which one, Nessie, Bigfoot, and Mothman? Which you give one? me one. Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Yeah. Okay. I do have big feet, so it's appropriate. Well, that leaves Mothman for me because okay. you clearly are going to do the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, but I'm also sort of obsessed with Mothman. Oh. Do you, know the, do you know Let's the story of Mothman? I know. I, no. I know. Not at all. Uh, what's, I think it's called like Point Pleasant in West Virginia. It's this town where in the 60s, a bunch of people who may or may not have been smoking pot saw this giant winged <laughs> Mothman creature with glowing red eyes, which uh-huh. might have been an owl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then a bunch of people have, have seen this sort of Mothman creature, and some people have argued that he, he foretells disaster, like when something bad's about to happen in your town, the Mothman will show up and like squeak at you. In the town of, and again, I could be getting the name of the town wrong, Point Pleasant, they have a big statue devoted to Mothman wow. in the town square. 
they have, I think, some kind of pancake contest every year. That's Mothman themed. Oh, interesting. <laughs> that is okay. an interesting. Uh, who comes up with a pancake contest small, themed around small towns? Yeah, small here's, towns on pot. Here's the thing about cryptids. I have one word because, of course, it's like, oh, is there a really Bigfoot and Nessie and things like that? But there's one word that I think always brings hope to people who want there to be cryptids, and that one word is coelacanth. The coelacanth was a fish, this hideous, ugly-looking armored fish that they thought had been extinct since the time of the dinosaurs. Okay. Off the coast of Madagascar, one day they just oh, found yeah. some. Yeah. yeah. And so is it possible there's some weird animal right. that we haven't come across? Right. Okay. Right. It's possible. It's possible. Right. right. Yeah. So yeah, I say we do, we'll do an episode okay. of that. We look All into right. some cryptids. Good, good question, Sockfoot. Thank you, Sockfoot. All right. Uh, this is Jay Zed. Uh, JZ is from Palgrave, Canada. I actually know that town. I did not know they had the internet there. So <laughs> congratulations, Palgrave, Canada, for getting the internet. All right. So I, I continue with uh, JZ's questions. First question. In your podcast, you uncover some fascinating and at times rather disturbing stories or events. Mm-hmm. What is your intention or purpose in telling these stories? That's a good question, because a lot. this is something that I warn my students at the beginning of the year. I tell them, none of this is going to make you happier. <laughs> like, you're going to be way sadder at the end of this class. Yeah. I think there's a bunch of reasons why we do it. One, I mean, our, our sort of raison d'etre for our French, Ooh, our French nice. fans yeah. is that we don't want people getting distracted by false conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. because... It's a waste of time and a distraction. And we also don't want people to get away with actual conspiracy theories, Mm -hmm. uh, with actual conspiracies. And so that's sort of one of our main reasons why we do this. Yeah, and I mean, this like conspiratorial thinking is so dangerous too, Mm -hmm. right? It can be for sure. Like it's that whole connection between what you think and how you behave and how it affects other people, right? So if we're, it, it's not just isolated thoughts, like they, they have an impact in the real world. A lot of these terrible, you know, um, terrorist acts we've seen in the last few years, like it's people with some sort of conspiratorial thinking, whether it's like all women hate them or whatever right. it is. So it's this kind of conspiratorial thinking that can drive some actual really dangerous behavior too. And on the internet, especially today, like those communities are there and they can be found. So like any little bit we can do to kind of push back against that. And uh, I think it's, it's... To vaccinate against yeah, it? Yeah, to vaccinate. Oh yeah. gosh, there's another one. Okay, there's another episode we can do. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, so it's kind of, it feels like a good responsibility to, to kind of have. Can I add to that? And this is just picking up on your point, Alana. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like... There's a feel-good story here as well in the sense, and this is what I tell my students, we we have the tools already without all the information available to make sense of a really complex world. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to let me go into Area 51 to see if there's actually aliens there, and I'm probably not going to live long enough to get into a spaceship to go to the moon and see if there was actually a footprint in the American flag. And yet... I don't think we need that. Mm -hmm. I don't think we need to go into Area 51. I think we can come up with the right answer, despite the fact that we don't have all the information. And I think that's a really empowering... um, What's the word? It's a really empowering... It's like a toolbox. We're trying to provide a toolbox. It's like we're not... Exactly what... The the conspiracies emerge out of this feeling of powerlessness. 
Right. And we have actually the power a lot of the times mm-hmm. within ourselves and our communities. The information is available if we do the work to not get overwhelmed by these bad ideas. So that's, I think for me, that's part of why I tell these stories is to show that we can actually come up with the right answer. Mm-hmm. To be empowering. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's empowering cool. is the word. There Thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number two. All of you know so much stuff. How much time do you spend researching each podcast? Probably more than I spend on my actual yeah, job. Yeah, more time. It's a lot of a lot of time. It Give depends. Us some numbers. I can't. Uh, like I <laughs> hours and to, hours. I don't have that much time to begin with, so I'm squeezing it in whenever I can. And it depends on it depends which on podcast the topic. it is, too. Yeah, I guess. I mean, how much we know about. I probably it have to do the most work because you guys have been teaching this class for a while. So I feel like I have catching. I still mm. am catching up every time we do something new. I think... Sorry, go ahead. When we did Stargate, Mm. that was our first one ever. Right. And I must have put... I don't know, like 120 hours into that one. Yeah, that I was, was ridiculous. I, I, I was sweating during that yeah. uh, podcast. That where I was in the good old days. Oh man, so many pages after page after page. Yeah, so let's say, like, if we were to plan a podcast for two weeks from now, how much time would we spend until then? Like, well, uh, I would actually divide it up because I think some of some of what we bring to the table here is not the particular research that mm-hmm. we're doing on any individual podcast but rather the fact that we have been trained in um logic the social sciences history sociology especially political theory that we bring how to deal with this yeah, information we bring already. The approaches already and i think yeah. that's where most of the work was sunk into in terms of our development so right? actually the answer is years and years years and years, years and years and years of yeah graduate work exactly and then i think we spend what i would say in my case uh depending on how much i know about it a couple of days looking up the facts but often i'm doing reading in the background i'm reading a Mm -hmm. book about this or i'm reading a book about that and eventually that'll come up Mm -hmm. nathan and elena you guys days and days i know i mean nathan just you know he's scouring the internet every day stuff Yeah. yeah Yeah, I my I've said this before. My search history must just be absolutely terrifying. Yeah, you're on all the lists. And after I demanded, <laughs> after I demanded like hundreds of pages from the Canadian government on UFOs, mm-hmm. like I guarantee you, at some point my I name is. I think there's someone outside the d- door, the window, just like spying yeah. on us right now. Yeah, probably. Oh my God, you made me look. <laughs> dressed, dressed all in black. Uh, <laughs> all right. So the answer uh, is lots of work. Lots of work. Lots of work. Uh, okay, next one. You can't skip the next one. No, I'm skipping the next no. one. Oh, wait, let me the read next, the next okay. question. Oh. Is Lee handsome? Yes. Oh so first, handsome. You're, first Look of at all, her Instagram. There's already a picture of him from I'm Mexico on there. fully blushing. Yeah. That yeah. shouldn't even be have made it on, but thank you anyway. <laughs> also, so it looks like Tintin. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I don't know if you're selling this now. <laughs> I don't know which cartoon characters we look like. You and I, Elena. Oh, um, who? Olive. Uh, Popeye's Do Popeye's I? wife. Yes. What? Well, maybe the hair length, yeah, the little sh- short bob. I mean, come on, there's cartoons. Yeah. There isn't that much to choose from, especially no, with that's women. True. No, it's true. It's either that or that. Thelma. She had a short bob, didn't she, from Scooby Doo? Y- yes. I don't remember. Barney Rubble's wife. Betty. Betty. I Man, would... this is really sad. <laughs> if this is all we're working with. Yeah. Wow. This, this not, much. Is not that much. Sad. Yeah, that is sad. This says a lot about women's. Yeah. place in the world right at the moment well at least the stuff we grew up on yeah and That's for me true. cartoon character we would say oh i feel like there is one there's gotta be um 
but Marvin the Martian. You're f- ah, <laughs> I love I look, it. I look like Marvin the Martian. Yeah, maybe. He, he was yeah. certainly. I do my wear favorite. chucks. Mm. So yes. <laughs> all right, all right. Next question. In many of your stories, you on Earth in your podcast, the story of MK Ultra, for instance, uh, are stories that should be more widely known. Given the scope and serious disregard for ethical standards that you reveal during the episode on MK Ultra, can you think of reasons why most people don't know about this project or other CIA projects related to the Cold War? Well, I mean, it was designed to be secret. They were being unbelievably secretive about it. I mean, yeah, they tried to destroy a bunch of stuff, too. Um, I mean, it's been covered a little bit in terms like there's a CBC documentary on what happened in Montreal. Yep. There's now only now, I mean, Frank Olson stuff related to it on Netflix. It's true. It hasn't really hit pop culture in a, in a huge way. I think in part because pop culture is sort of dumb in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like it's pop culture is a lot of noise and a lot of nonsense and like the these these stories all need a lot of context. They need a lot of background information. Mm-hmm. While these these stories are like shocking and alarming, in order to get there, you have to go through a lot of background and a lot of history. It's a lot of work. It is a lot. Of I work. mean, the payoff is is extraordinary, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of work to get there. I, I'm going to add per, potentially my own conspiratorial view to this, though, as well. It came in uh, to me in research uh, around COINTELPRO, which we did uh, when we discussed the death of Fred Hampton. And uh, this is actually a quote from, or it's a paraphrase of uh, Noam Chomsky, who asked, why is it that everybody knows about Watergate and nobody knows about COINTELPRO? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, Watergate was Richard Nixon, then president, getting some CIA goons to uh, infiltrate the Democratic offices for his own political gain. Whereas COINTELPRO was about uh, a concerted effort to uh, attack um, mostly left-wing, although the right was involved as well, mostly left-wing political groups and disrupt them. Now, for the health of a democracy, I think COINTELPRO is significantly more damaging and dangerous Mm -hmm. than you know, a president acting in very self-interested ways. Chomsky's position is that, well, that's not an accident. You know, it's not an accident that um, the media paid so much attention to one and very little to the other. Um, His position would be, well, you know, these things have, they're also political narratives. And we get to hear more about political narratives that uh, are convenient for the for for certain people in power. Now, this is somewhat of a, I guess, a that conspir- is a conspiratorial look at conspiracies. A, a conspiratorial look at why some conspiracies get so much play mm-hmm. as opposed to others. This stuff has been out there, but I think there's been a a, a concerted effort in really playing up some of it uh, at the expense of some other aspects and i don't think that's neutral Mm -hmm. and the other problem is that there's so many false conspiracy theories circulating that the real genuine conspiracies can get buried yeah Mm -hmm. that's right and again (laughs) fk ultra just seemed so ridiculous yeah do you think there's also a notion too, like you know the whole idea of whether it's like a bad apple in in a barrel right like nixon was the bad apple that they could sort of promote rather than just there being a bad barrel where the government does these covert I, I think that's they, they exactly right, Elena. I yeah. mean, I think that's a really succinct and coherent way of, of articulating that because 
Yeah, with Nixon, it just looks like yeah, he's just, just a problem. And hey, we got rid of him, yeah. and so now no more problem. Fine again. Yeah, and you, yeah, it's transparent, and mm-hmm. exactly. everything is above board. Whereas, whereas the FBI, um, for years, attacking political groups—that's more of a systemic problem. That's a structural mm-hmm. issue. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Speaking of the Fred Hampton, totally sort of off topic, but still on topic. I had a guy come around to look at my house, like a film scout guy. And he was actually saying that was for the scene when Fred Hampton gets, they raid his house. Amazing. And he's like, you know, so this would be like the stairway he would come down. I was like, no, no, he was drugged. And right. he's like, what are you talking about? He did not come down like, the stairway. He did not come down the stairs. He, he was drugged. It was like his right hand man was, Listen was to in the with podcast. the government. And yeah. he's like, what? He's like, I've never walked into a house and learned something about the scene I'm scouting for. It was pretty awesome. Nice. Yeah. You schooled him. I yeah, love I it. All right, All right, here we go. This one's from the Bamily. This one is from the Bamily who are or who is in Guelph, Canada. First one, are there any good Canadian Cold War conspiracies? Secret Diefenbaker bunker tunnels, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. When I think of Canadian conspiracies for the Cold War, I think of the Avro Arrow immediately, mm-hmm. uh, which was a fighter plane that was locally made in Canada. It was at the time like vastly superior to anything that the Americans had, and yet the Canadian government canceled it for some reason and then bought American... Uh, equipment which was not as good and ended up being more expensive. Huh. Uh, so that's an interesting one. My grandfather actually worked on the Avro Arrow as a wing warper. Uh, the Avro car, of course, the great UFO that was created by oh, Avro in Canada. I've seen. You have a picture of that. YouTube you? yeah, of that. Yeah, I I found it at a, an American Air Force station. It might be on our Instagram. I can't remember. I think it is. I think yeah. it might be our first picture. Yeah, is it a conspiracy though? Because that thing did not fly. It didn't fly well. But I still think that our government should demand that they return it to us. Ah. Bring yeah. back right. our UFO. Good point. <laughs> um, and as far as the Diefen... Have you guys ever been to the Diefen Bunker? I've no. always wanted to go. Oh, I we go should too. do a live, yeah? like, live trip. podcast Maybe not from live, the Diefen we'll f- Bunker. Yeah. Okay, let's do this it. This summer, let's do yeah. it. Yeah. All right, I'm in. Okay, okay. yeah. All right. From the Diefen Bunker. I love it. Yeah, which uh, is... Wait, uh, wait, if, we if should, you don't know... Yes, we should tell those Diefen Baker was the prime minister during yeah, okay. the Cold War in the Thank 50s, and the Diefen Bunker is this massive compound they built to let like a few hundred people survive a nuclear war uh, those being the uh high ups in government right because that's who you want to survive yeah. that's right there's <laughs> some useful people right yeah. there i'll throw out two other ones uh canadian related conspiracies there was of course the connection with mk ultra at mcgill university yep. so there was a, a doctor there who was um doing experiments on behalf of the cia donald you and cameron mm-hmm. thank you one um, of the i think big villains mm-hmm. of our podcast yeah and and there is also the lavender scare, uh, which uh, we haven't talked about. Yeah, that's a, um, it. Follows the which next I question. think is a segue oh, to the next yeah. question. Oh, oh, indeed. Oh, I should have read that one first. Okay, wait, stop. I will read the next question. Uh, are there any MacArthur era conspiracies, especially Canadian ones, around queer folks? Okay, yes. And how? Yes. Uh, the lavender scare, which I was just um, going to lump in with the one above, uh, was a uh, sort of, well, it was like the McCarthy witch hunts uh, looking for quote-unquote communists. I have to put that in quotes because while they were looking for communists, the people they brought in uh, were any was anybody who was even remotely critical or vocal about uh, what was going on in the 1950s. Um, the Lavender Scare was using homophobia generalized homophobia within American and Canadian culture against potential homosexuals. And uh, I actually know of a case where 
uh, somebody was pushed out of a job mm-hmm. in the 60s at a, in a high up position in the government. I can't use their name because, of course, you know, this was not something that they ever mm-hmm. publicly talked about. But it was uh, a way of marginalizing groups of people based on their sexual identity. And sometimes also just, you know, using this as a convenient way of getting rid of people who they didn't like. Yeah, and there were fears or the one of the notions was that if they were gay, they might be more likely to have communist sympathies, which mm. is ridiculous. Um, and there were fears that they might be blackmailable. There might right. be because they have this... You know, Which is such a perverse... Totally. Because mm-hmm. they are blackmailable, yeah. as the Lavender Scare shows, right. precisely because of the homophobia right. that and exists. And they could be like culture. turned into assets by the communists. No. And I think I actually, actually do have a couple numbers. I think in the US, there are about 5,000 people fired. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people were fired in Canada, but I know uh, that they collected, the Canadian government collected information on about 9,000 huh. people. Um through this and so if, if if you were in the military and the civil service and the rcmp they foreign would, service yeah foreign service anything related to that uh you could be targeted and uh they had a machine they developed right oh, i was going to ask about that oh the boy fruit, the fruit machine they called it that they literally called it that this is the rcmp right uh yes and so yeah, because they would, back then the rcmp was had like this was before CSIS, and so basically the RCMP was responsible for intelligence. This might be getting too much into the weeds, but wouldn't even with the existence of CSIS, wouldn't the RCMP be um, charged with domestic spying, yes. quote unquote, and I, then CSIS I, I, is I just, just so. overseas? That's true. Although after the FLQ scare, that the uh, RCMP had bungled so badly, they right. lost some of their mandate. I see. Okay, right. but, sorry. But so yeah, the fruit machine, they they would connect you to this machine that would basically observe your, you know, how much you sweat or if your pupils dilated. Is it a lie detector? No, I think it, I think it, it monitored multiple physiological responses. Okay. And so they'd show you images and, and based on how you oh. responded to them, they would try and assess whether or not oh you had, God. you were gay okay. or could be gay or bisexual or queer in some way. It's embarrassing it's totally embarrassing and actually now there is a canadian documentary i forget exactly what it's called but there is a a good u.s based one called the lavender scare um which i saw at hot docs a couple years ago and then now there's a new one i know you can find the trailer at least online i'm not sure if the whole thing is i can't quite remember but there is now one that focuses on the canadian sort of oh interesting version of it yeah maybe we could get that out on twitter or facebook yeah yeah yeah, I i can pass it out and like you guys are saying, the logic behind this is absurd. Oh, they, yeah. they were worried that if you were secretly queer, then you'd be more easily blackmailable. But you weren't blackmailable because of your sexuality. You were blackmailable because of the homophobia mm-hmm. that was exactly. in society. Right. So they should have said, wait, what if we try to eliminate homophobia? Then this and blackmail, no blackmail thing. Yeah. And of course, you, you, you could probably guess the answer. Do you know how many times they actually found that somebody's sexuality had compromised oh, yeah, was zero. them. It, it was zero. zero times. Yeah. Well, well, a lot wait, of people wait. had their lives ruined. Yeah. Unless we're talking about straight men. Uh, that's true. That <laughs> yes. that's there, yeah. you could yeah. compromise them super easily. John using F. Sex. Kennedy. Yeah. yeah. And I think one famous example, not in Canada or the United States, but one example of this lavender scare, of course, was what happened to Alan Turing. Oh, right. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After the work he had done to basically help save England during mm-hmm. the war, uh, afterwards they they put him through terrible experiments to try to change his sexuality. 
They gave him uh, hormone therapy, and then eventually, sadly, he took his own life. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I think that that aspect is is quite powerfully uh, dem- documented in the movie, The Enigma Machine, is that the name? Yeah, Imitation that is Game. Or Imitation, Imitation oh, Game, okay, sorry, yeah. The Enigma yeah. Machine. Different. I've actually been there. I've been to, uh, to Bletchley Park. Oh. It's pretty neat. Yeah. It is neat. I had tea there. Hmm. Ooh, Lovely. look at you. Huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you want to do? Uh, do you have? Do you have any shout other shoutouts we want to do or anything? I got a shout out. Okay. Um, I wanna. I wanna say hi and thank you to uh, uh, Zany, uh, aka Crazy Cat Lady, mm-hmm. who uh, gave us a fantastic shout out on was it Facebook on Twitter. or Twitter? On Twitter? Thank you. Yeah. And we heard it. And thank you so much. Thanks for we're, listening. Yeah. Thanks for listening, and we're following you too. And to everybody who wrote, uh, thanks for writing Thank in. You. If we didn't have time to get to your letter, I guess resend well, send it. us more. Yeah, send, send us, us more. more. So this yeah. was the Fun. top of our yeah. our list. I, I like do, doing these. I like hearing from the from the listeners. Yeah, and uh, this this got us talking about stuff we might not have. And talked now I have about. a long list. We have a long stuff. list of episodes have homework. to do. Oh, yeah. Thanks Excellent. a lot. Yeah. Just kidding. We Thank, do like homework. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Okay. Bye.